Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hello, Mandy. How is our earth you? I, <laughs> I'm great. I was not expecting a, I don't even know what. It was what not is that? anything. Is it Shakespearean? I, <laughs> is yes. that what we're going for? <laughs> I was hoping you would have a new one this week, and then I just panicked when you didn't, and added, I, know. I think, TH'd everything. I know. You know what's really funny about that is that before we started recording, like maybe an hour or so ago, I was thinking about that, about how we said we were going to try and come in with some less dry intros, and I guess we're still failing. <laughs> we definitely are. My son wants to, us to call him Gick now, G-I-C-K, but he spells it T-H-G-I-C-K, and we have no idea why. And I was like, well, if you oh. call yourself that for six months, we'll legally change it, knowing good and well it'll be over in like a month. But yeah, I just realized that's probably why I'm adding T-H to everything. Like, <laughs> call me Gick, T-H-G-I-C-K. I'm like, all right, whatever. Let's it's, just please go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be the concept of silent letters. My um, right? son who's this about the same age is kind of going through the same thing right now with learning new words that have silent letters uh-huh. and just being like what is this this makes no sense whatsoever and I'm like yes that this is the first of many things about 
language arts that will not make yes, any sense whatsoever. Exactly. To Wait till you come up with I and E. It's just a whole thing. You're just never going to know what to do and right. when to do it. And we <laughs> don't know when and whenever. Somebody sent us the rules once, and I really did look over it and try. So we will see if we ever get better at that. But don't hold your breath. No, we're not going to. Yeah, that's kind of like a long running. It's not even an inside joke. It's a long running known fact. Defect. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Defect of this show is that we don't know how to properly use the word whenever. So very sorry about that. We've apologized for that, I think, maybe six or seven times now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's still it's still happening. People assume it's a Florida thing, so we've just accepted it. And yeah, you don't have to write us about it anymore. We got it. Yeah. But um we probably won't get it right. So Mandy, I'm excited for this week's episode. Me too. Me too. So the story <laughs> <laughs> the story this week really has it all. Um, it's a bit of a whodunit with a twist or two along the way. And it's a mystery about what happened to one woman the evening she left work and never made it home. In the early morning hours of January 25th, 2012, a tow truck driver named Franco Leone was driving around the Detroit area looking for stolen or suspicious vehicles when he came across a black Mercedes SUV that was oddly parked in an alley in a neighborhood. As per his typical protocol, Franco called in the plate number and waited to hear whether this was a stolen vehicle or not. To his surprise, the SUV was not stolen, but according to dispatch, the vehicle with this plate number belonged to a woman who had been reported missing the night before. It was about 11.30 p.m. on January 24th when Bob Bashara alerted police to the fact that his wife, Jane, had not come home that evening at her expected time. He had first arrived home at around 8 p.m. to find that Jane was not there, but a TV was left on in the basement, and it appeared that she had been there recently, so Bob assumed that she had just gone to run a quick errand and would be back shortly. But then as the hours ticked by and Jane did not call or come home, Bob became concerned and decided to call the police shortly before midnight. Bob made a few other phone calls to family and friends and settled in for a restless night of worry. So when Franco, the tow truck driver, found Jane Bashara's SUV, police responded to the scene quickly. One officer approached the SUV carefully and shined his flashlight inside. To his dismay, he was met with the sight of the bloodied body of Jane Bashara. This shocking crime was the first time that a murder had taken place in this neighborhood in 20 years, and it quickly became a media sensation. According to responding officers, the SUV looked like it had been staged. It was left unlocked with the keys on the floor of the driver's side, and Jane's personal effects and the contents of her purse were, quote, carefully strewn on the passenger side floorboard. There was a cell phone, a checkbook, pills, and several other items that, if this were a robbery, then the robber would have taken. It also looked as though Jane's body had been placed inside the vehicle after she was killed. She had leaves stuck to one of her socks, but there were no leaves on the ground where her car was found and the ground around it was frozen. Officers immediately went to inform Bob that they had sadly found his wife and that there would unfortunately be an ensuing murder investigation. Jane and Bob Bashara first met each other in 1983 at a party, and it was really love at first sight. Bob said that Jane was very outgoing, she was a go-getter who was really loving and very kind. He said that he was attracted to her right away. The two hit it off, and by the spring of 1985, they were married. Bob was born Robert Michael Bashara in 1957 to Nancy and George, who were second-generation Lebanese immigrants. 
George was a judge for the Michigan Court of Appeals from 1972 to 1982. He was actually the youngest judge in the court at that time. And in 1982, he joined a private law firm. George and Nancy eventually divorced, and he remarried another woman named Suzanne. Bob was raised with a sister named Laura and was known for being a bit of a problem child. He was always really getting into trouble and needing his father to bail him out of these bad situations. But Bob was really charming, and he managed to weasel his way out of many of his own blunders, too. But when Bob was just about to head off to middle school, he lit his grandmother's mattress on fire, and when his parents found out about this, they actually sent him to Howe Academy in Indiana, which wasn't exactly the most fun school you could possibly go to. It was actually a military school. Wow. Yeah, that's, I wonder, I mean, obviously he was getting into other trouble and stuff, because it doesn't seem like a mattress would be what would be like, yeah, now you're you're out of here. But obviously this could have been a sign of things to come for them. I can see that. Right. And lighting a mattress on fire, I feel like wouldn't be the first offense either at this age. Like there were probably other things leading up to this that just weren't mentioned in the research. (laughs) Not as well documented. (laughs) So Bob goes there for all of his middle school years and he left when it was time for high school, at which point he attended Gross Point North High School. He graduated in 1976, and he went on to attend Albion College, where he was a member of a fraternity and eventually graduated with degrees in economics and speech communication. He landed a job at Michigan First Aid and Safety in Detroit as a sales rep. While in college, Bob met and married his first wife, a woman by the name of Priscilla Langs. The two were really young at the time. They were 23 and 21, respectively, and their marriage actually didn't even last a year. Bob said that Priscilla had, quote, sown her wild oats and didn't want to be married anymore. Why do I love that saying? (laughs) Well, I'm a little confused on when he's saying she sowed her wild oats while they were married. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. I need a sowing oats timeline. I I like the phrase and I just don't know of many situations where I would ever be able to use it, but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) There, it made it into the episode this week, Mandy. You've done it. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) So after this divorce from her, Bob actually became an entrepreneur and he opened up a second location of his family owned restaurant with his father. His uncle owned the original Wooden Nickel and this second location opened up in 1983 and this one was owned by Bob and his father. Bob and his dad also went into a bit of a real estate business together and they bought property to rent out. Eventually, Bob even became a full-time landlord with several different properties. Bob really enjoyed golfing, and he was the president of the Gross Point Rotary Club, as well as the beloved neighborhood Santa. And when he first met Jane Engelbrecht, his world was turned upside down, but in the best way. Jane was born in 1955 and had been a Michigan resident her whole life. Her father, John, was a Korean War veteran who was discharged the year Jane was born. John and his wife, Lorraine, had four kids in total, Jane, who was the baby, John Jr., Janet, and Julie. Jane was exceptionally close to her sister, Janet, but the whole family was very tight-knit and just really your stereotypical Midwestern middle-class family. Jane's friend, Kim, described her as the type of person who lit up a room. And that's not just something that we're saying that you hear, you know, a typical true crime podcast platitude as, you know, as that you hear all the time. But this is actually what her friend Kim said about her. She was so bright and bubbly and she right. literally lit up a room. She was very organized and competitive and not afraid to get her hands dirty, so to speak. 
Jane was extremely smart and business savvy, showing strong leadership skills as early as age five, according to her mom. Her mom said, quote, she had to be at the top of the heap. She was a born leader. Jane played tennis and volleyball throughout high school and enjoyed being athletic. She made excellent grades and participated in the French Club, National Honor Society, and worked at the Miller Brothers Creamery while she was still in high school. She graduated in 1973 and went on to Central Michigan University, where she became a member of a sorority and multiple honor societies. Jane graduated with a Bachelor of Business Administration in 1977 and got her master's from University of Detroit Mercy in 1983. It was that same year that she met Bob and quickly fell in love with him. In 1988, they had their first child, Robert Jr., and the following year, the family moved to Gross Point Park and lived in a 3,000-square-foot, five-bedroom house where they continued to live until the time of our story. The couple welcomed a daughter named Jessica in 1992, and both parents were active in their lives and upbringing. Jane was active in the Gross Point community and in the school system there. She was previously the president of the Gross Point South High School Mothers Club, And Bob and Jane both organized numerous charity events for the community, including an annual fireworks show. The couple was really successful and respected in the community and didn't appear to have anything in their background that would explain how Jane ended up dead in her vehicle in a random part of town where murders were super rare. But as we know with crime stories, sometimes there's more than meets the eye, and sometimes there's a lot more. And we're going to get into all of it after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. We have a few windows in our house that take direct sunlight every single day. And every single day, I think, I wish there was a way for the sun to just chill in here. Unfortunately, sun calming technology just doesn't exist, but Hunter Douglas does. Hunter Douglas is a leader in innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced that you can actually schedule them to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Whether you're fighting the sun's aggression, wanting to check out what's going on outside but still keep your privacy, or get shades that are not only beautiful but can actually provide superior insulation, Hunter Douglas has your back. Hunter Douglas makes window shades your windows would design if they weren't inanimate objects. Not only are these truly gorgeous systems, but with Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, your shades can actually be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. I love that not only does Hunter Douglas nail the aesthetic, but they take it to the next level with their systems and features. If you're like me, lighting and weather can totally affect my mood, so being able to control how I see the outside world could be a real game changer for me. Live beautifully with Hunter Douglas and enjoy greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash moms today to take advantage of the Season of Style Rebate Savings event. That's HunterDouglas.com slash moms for limited time savings. Offer expires December 6, 2021. We are finally turning the corner and seeing some cooler weather here in Florida, and there is absolutely nothing I enjoy doing more in cooler weather than bundling up in my blankets and watching some trash TV. To be fair, I also love to do this in the warmer months, and thanks to the incredible comfort of my sleep number bed, this is an activity I enjoy year-round. Sleep Number Bed allows you to take charge of your sleep with their custom settings. I like a slightly softer bed, so lately I've been flirting with a Sleep Number 25, while on the other side of the bed, my husband likes his side a little firmer at a 40. And if you're interested in getting an amazing night's sleep and visiting the Sleep Number store, not only do you get the VIP treatment, you also get to try out all of their beds, which are so incredibly magical, it feels criminal. 
I discovered that my perfect sleep number setting is a 30, but occasionally I even go down to a 25 for an even softer, fluffier experience. And delivery with sleep number was so easy. I was just given a window of time for the delivery and the guys that came to deliver it even helped us move our old beds to my daughter's room. They took the time to explain all the functions to me, including the snore button, where if my husband begins snoring in the middle of the night, instead of whispering lots of curse words under my breath, I can just push the snore button that raises his side of the bed slightly up, helping me to get an amazing night's sleep, which helps literally everything, including decreasing anxiety overnight by reorganizing connections in the brain. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Special offers now available for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash moms. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about Jane Bashara, who was 56 years old, who had been reported missing by her husband late on January 24th, 2012. The next morning, she's found dead in her car, which was parked in this random neighborhood alley. Jane and her husband Bob have been married for 27 years at this time and the two have two children together. They're active in their community and they're a pretty basic middle-class family by all accounts. So shortly after Jane was found murdered, it comes to light that the marriage between the Basharas was not quite as perfect as it appeared. In the years leading up to Jane's death, the couple have been struggling financially and with intimacy issues in the relationship as well. To elaborate, and believe me, we would rather not, but it's actually relevant to this story. Bob was interested in different types of intimacy and sexual activity than Jane was. Jane actually wanted nothing to do with the things that Bob was interested in. So Bob apparently went behind his wife's back and became active in the local BDSM community without her knowledge. This included him going to BDSM events and engaging in relationships with women in that community as well, all without his wife's knowledge. So after Jane's body was found, rumors flew that Bob was not only into the BDSM scene, but he also allegedly owned what was called an underground sex dungeon that he ran out of the basement of a bar called the Hard Luck Lounge. So the Hard Luck Lounge was actually located on the ground floor of one of Bob's rental properties in Gross Point Park. Keep in mind, he's a landlord. Yeah, he's got all these places. Turns out, though, that this rumor is actually true. And Bob did admit to having this dungeon, but he also admitted to bringing other women to the home that he shared with Jane because, according to him, his bed was bigger at home and his house had a shower, which his dungeon did not. I feel like if you're going to go through all of this, time to upgrade the dungeon. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Dungeon upgrades. Um, But like the bed, that's just so terrible. Like knowing. Yeah. Keeping it from her so she has no idea about any of this and bringing people back to the house obviously is not something she knows about, but these to be your reasons are just so, oh, they make me so mad. According to Bob, though, the more involved he became with the BDSM community, the more he learned about women who were being abused by men in the name of BDSM. So Bob took it upon himself to become a sort of counselor to these women. He would advise them on how to proceed with a quote-unquote dominant. I just don't have any words for all of this because, I mean, what place of his is it to get involved? I just don't even, I don't know about this with him. He just seems like he really was very involved. He got very deep involved into the lifestyle and his wife really had no clue, which is the main point of all of this. Yeah. That's the whole thing is that she just has no idea that this is going on. Bob later told officers, though, that Jane actually gave him her blessing to seek outside relationships as long as he didn't do anything to embarrass her or the family. He says he actually never told her about his secret BDSM lifestyle, though. 
So Bob at this point was now really full speed ahead with a double life, one where he was happily married, successful, and a family man, and another where he was involved in his local BDSM community, which included numerous affairs and outside relationships that his family had no clue about. He joined websites for meeting women in the lifestyle and would tell them that he was either divorced or widowed, which is something that we hear every now and then. Yep. And I never, ever, ever understand telling somebody that your spouse is literally dead when they are not, in fact, dead. That just that one just blows my mind. It's one thing to say, oh, we're divorced, oh, we're separated, right. we have problems. But it's a totally different thing to say, oh, yeah, they are actually dead. I absolutely think that's a sympathy thing for him. So he looks sympathetic that, you know, he he didn't get a divorce, but he lost his wife and how tragic for him. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like yeah, there's some true. kind of a thing with that because we've we see that a lot. And it's the same thing where you're like, Well, why are you going around telling everybody your spouse is dead? And they never have a good answer for it. But that is a wild one to me. I yeah. agree. Yeah. So if these women found out that Bob's wife was not dead and that he was actually married, he would just tell them that they were separated and they planned to divorce when their kids were out of the house. Bob's profile on these websites was really interesting. He referred to himself as Master Bob, and he wrote things in his profile such as, quote, I am a most complete master who will open you to all this lovely life has to offer. And in 2008, he finally met a woman who was interested in this type of arrangement, and they started a relationship. Her name was Rachel Gillett. She was 48 years old at the time. And of course, as it often does in these situations, the more this new relationship with Rachel progressed, the worse things got between Bob and Jane. Bob had, of course, lied to Rachel about even being married. And when she found out, she broke things off with him. But Bob ended up going to great lengths to get Rachel to stay with him by promising her that he wanted to have a life with her one day, and he promised her that he was going to divorce Jane. Rachel and Bob ended up breaking up and getting back together numerous times. They just had kind of this rocky relationship. A lot of it seemed like Rachel just was not sure because, of course, she doesn't really trust him now that he's gotten caught lying about being married. There's just kind of a lot going on there. But as it stands, they're staying together, and he is promising that he is going to get a divorce from Jane. Rachel had a really tough personality to get along with. She used to work for a couple of different universities, including Wayne State University, which is where she was working when she and Bob first met back in 2008. And according to those who knew Rachel at the time, since 2008, she had been on a downward spiral. She began taking more time off of work, and when she was there, she was distracted and spent excessive time talking on the phone while she was on the clock. Rachel told her boss and coworkers that she was having family concerns, and she promised to get her act together. But by November of 2011, Rachel was not very highly thought of at her job. Her reviews were now quote-unquote unsatisfactory, and she was described in them as being aggressive and disrespectful. She was even offered further training as a mean to help her keep her job, but she was very pessimistic about it and she had a really terrible and uncooperative attitude. Also in 2011, even though Bob was still married to Jane, he and Rachel were starting to look at houses together, which oh my gosh, really is where it's starting to blow my mind. This is this is one of the most wild things I think we've ever heard of in these kind of stories with like yeah. affairs and stuff to be looking for a home with somebody. So they find a house and they took it so far that they actually had plans to close on the house on January 27th, 2012. And just so we're all on the same page here, 
Jane was found dead on January 25th. So throughout this whole process of dealing with the realtor regarding the purchase of this new house with Rachel, Bob told the realtor that he'd been divorced since June of 2011. So not only were the two of them looking for houses to live in, but they were also interviewing potential thirds in their relationship. So in late 2011, Bob meets this woman named Janet Lehman, and he told her that he wanted her to join in his relationship with Rachel and have her live in their new house with them. Bob had continued to have intimate encounters with other women he met online between 2008 and 2011, despite having a wife and a girlfriend already. So he and Janet talked for a couple of months, and she actually agreed to move in with Bob and Rachel at the end of January. But as we know now, this plan did not work out because Bob's wife, Jane, was found dead two days before house closing. But we'll get back to that in a minute. So throughout all of this, keep in mind, Jane Bashara has no idea that her husband is living this separate life or that he is literally looking at houses with other women and telling them that he wants a future with them. But it was in the late fall of 2011 that things took a turn down an even darker path. Bob's friend Steve approached him about finding a place for his friend, Joseph Gentz, to live. As we said before, Bob was a landlord and owned an apartment complex as well as other rental properties, so Steve thought that he would be a good friend to ask, help find Joseph a nice place to rent out. But Bob didn't have anything available. He did introduce Joseph to another friend who had properties, and Joseph was able to rent something from the friend. But Bob and Joseph continued to talk after this, even though Bob didn't rent a place to him, which an interesting way to make a new friend, right? Like somebody just contacts you as a prospective tenant and then you don't have anything, but you hook them up with someone else. That seems like you would just part ways after that and not speak to that person again. But they decided to stay friends after this. Some people just like making friends, I guess. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I like making friends, but I even have my limits. (laughs) But um, I guess they did have the other guy, Steve, as a mutual friend. So maybe that kind of connection, you know, that connection maybe made it easier to form their own friendship. So this guy, Joseph, was nice enough. He did have some cognitive disabilities and possibly a lower IQ um, than average. And this was due to trauma that he suffered during his own childbirth. He actually had a stroke while he was being born. And this left him blind in one eye. One of his brothers said that he graduated from high school, but his speech and writing abilities were only at about a third to fifth grade level and that he needed guidance and to really be looked after. Joseph was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and was known to be quick-tempered, easily agitated, paranoid, and he really struggled with female figures of authority. When Joseph was seven, he started going to the St. Louis Center, which was a place for developmentally disabled kids. Joseph was there during the week and went home on the weekends and holidays. He had four siblings, but it's unclear if any of the rest of them had disabilities as well. He worked as a merchant marine when he was a younger adult, but at the time of our story, he was working as a handyman. Joseph had been married three times, and he had one daughter named Brittany who was in foster care after her mom and Joseph were both found to be unfit parents. According to the police, when Bob was informed of his wife's death, he showed little emotion. Although his friends and family claimed that he was very distraught and heartbroken, he just didn't show that side of himself to the public. The day after Jane's body was found, officers interviewed Bob and asked him questions about where he'd been on the day of his wife's disappearance. Bob said that on January 24th, he was working at his rental properties or he could have been at the Hard Luck Lounge, but at some point he went home to grab his keys. 
This story seemed to check out to some degree. Many people did see Bob at the Hard Luck Lounge after 5.15 p.m. that night, and his cell phone records confirmed he was there between 4.52 to 5.20 that night. But records showed that Bob and Jane's phones used the cell tower nearest their home at 6.26 p.m. And within a few minutes, both cell phones moved away from their house, with Bob's going back to the Hard Luck Lounge and Jane's going north, which was the opposite direction. Bob had told police that he never saw Jane at all that evening and that she was not home when he arrived back at their house at around 8 p.m. Further investigation into the cell phone records showed that Jane spoke on the phone to her daughter while she was driving home from work that afternoon. She arrived home at around 4.45 and told her daughter she had just pulled in the driveway and would call her right back. But she never called her back. And, of course, we know that it can get confusing when we start going off on, you know, specific times and stuff. The timing in the story is really pertinent, so we're going to get into more detail with that than normal. So Jane gets home at 4.45 p.m. As we said, she had just talked to her daughter, said she would call her back. Bob says he's back at the Hard Luck Lounge between 4.52 and 5.20. Bob and Jane's phones were both at their house at 6.26 p.m., Both phones then leave the home and records show they go in different directions. Bob goes south back to the lounge and Jane's phone goes north. Bob arrives back home at 8 that night. Jane was not there and he said she never came home. So from 8.42 p.m. until the time Jane's body was discovered the next morning, her cell phone only used the one particular tower in the area that she was found. So these are very tight timelines that we're working with. Every call after 5 p.m. on January 24th on Jane's phone was actually an incoming call. So she wasn't making any calls after 5 o'clock, after really she talked to her daughter. There's no um, outgoing calls from her phone. On January 27th, Bob is asked by police to take a lie detector test, which he agrees to take. He does fail this test. And of course, we know that those aren't what I what I feel like we used to think of a lie detector right. test. When I first heard about them, I'm like, oh, if you fail, you thought you they are. were the gold standard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so now you're like, mm, OK, it happens. So the Bashara home is then searched and investigators seized computers and documents from the home, as well as checked for DNA and other evidence. Bob was named a person of interest in his wife's murder on this day. So Unfortunately for him, he didn't make it to his house closing with Rachel and Janet. Oh, bummer. Yeah. So the day after Bob was named a person of interest in the murder, his attorney sent a letter to the Gross Point police alleging that Bob's acquaintance, Joseph Getz, was a potential suspect and that there had been threatening or bothersome interactions between Joseph and Bob prior to Jane's murder. After Jane's body was found on January 25th, witnesses said they saw 49-year-old Joseph with eight or $900 in cash and an expensive new phone. And a few days later, there was a shocking development in the case. Joseph actually went to the police and turned himself in. His friend Steve was apparently present when Joseph took himself down to the police station, and Joseph gave multiple stories to the police about his involvement in the murder. He first said that he murdered Jane in the garage while Bob threatened him at gunpoint. And in another version, he said that Bob had actually offered him money, a Cadillac, and a ring to murder his wife, and then threatened to kill Joseph if he did not carry out the hit on Jane. The police held Joseph for 72 hours but then released him. As I said before, Steve went to the police station with Joseph, and Joseph apparently asked Steve about helping him murder someone who he later found out was Jane, and so it was Steve who even convinced Joseph to turn himself in in the first place. 
Apparently, the police did not really believe that he wanted to turn himself in at first, and they kicked him out of the police station. They actually told him to leave, which is just mind-blowing <laughs> to me that the, the front desk person at the police station was like, mm, I don't believe you. You need to get out of here and like, yeah, stop wasting our time. we're not taking confessions today. Yeah. Sorry. It's lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they actually kicked him out and told him to leave. But eventually, they did let him speak to a detective, and then they held him for 72 hours before he was released, as I said. During this time that he was with the police, he changed his story numerous times. And because of these inconsistencies, the officers didn't think that they would be very successful at getting a conviction. So they decided not to charge him with a crime. The investigation continued throughout the month of February, and the police processed DNA evidence, including a blood drop found in the garage floor that was found to contain DNA from both Jane and Joseph. An autopsy was performed on Jane's body, and it was determined that she died as a result of strangulation that was so intense that her windpipe was actually fractured. Wow. And the doctor who performed this autopsy said that a broken windpipe is actually really, really rare to see because it's harder to break than bone because it is made completely of cartilage. And so it requires a lot of force to actually fracture or injure a windpipe in that way. Jane also suffered from repeated blunt force trauma to the head, but it wasn't able to be determined exactly what type of object she was struck with, and the doctor performing the autopsy believed that those injuries could have been inflicted not by an object, but by a fist. Dr. Diaz said that Jane could have survived for three or four minutes following this attack, and it was clear that she did fight back based on the defensive wounds found on her body. She was missing fingernails and had extensive bruising to her upper body, as well as injuries to her head, neck, upper chest, and shoulders, and a very large abrasion from her left cheek to her left ear. After Jane's autopsy, her body and clothes were sent to the funeral home, which was actually a little bit of a mistake because the clothes were supposed to go to the crime lab, not oh to gosh. the funeral home. Right. So a memorial service for Jane was held on January 31st, and there were hundreds of people that showed up to attend. Joseph was formally charged with murder on March 5th, 2012, as we said they did find his DNA in the garage of the home, and he was also charged with conspiracy to commit murder, and he was found competent to stand trial for this a couple of months later. So now the police at least have a direction to go into, right? Joseph's alleged that Bob was the one who wanted his wife killed, so investigators really have a lot more investigating to do. So they decided to visit Bob's girlfriend Rachel's house on March 6th. They searched it and took out seven cardboard boxes, a clipboard, an evidence box, and a paper bag. As it would turn out, Rachel had sent Bob an email on January 20th, which was five days before Jane's murder, and she asked him in, the, in this email you know, for the divorce papers. She wanted to see them. She, of course, wants to see he's actually divorced before they go through with purchasing a house together. Right. But it's like a few <laughs> days before. Like, yeah, I guess better late than never. But oh, my goodness. Like, the red flags had to have been up so much at this point, right. though. There had to have been such a level of intensity, you know, just realizing like, once this is done, it's done. So what do you do? But oh, my goodness. So on January 24th, Bob picks up the closing packet from the realtor around 3 p.m. and they schedule a time to do a final walkthrough before the sale closes on January 27th. So even though they are this far into the process of buying a home, Bob actually still hasn't forked out any of the money or even proven that he's got a loan secured or anything. There was no financing in place still on January 24th. 
it just makes you wonder, like, what is the plan here? Like, what was the plan? That's just right. bizarre to me. And like, just crazy. What is your plan when three days from now you have to come up with enough money to pay for a house? <laughs> like, something has to happen. Yeah, something's this is like leading to some something we know. Um, and Bob tells the realtors, you know, hey, don't worry. I've got most of the money and I'm able to get the rest before closing. And they believed him and never verified anything. Here's the part of the story I don't understand. I don't know if it's because he's a landlord and he has so many properties already that it's like he's good for it. You have to show this crap way early into getting a house. You have to show it. You have to show a lot of it, a lot of proof. You like just like (laughs) yeah. You put in your offer like with proof that you can pay for it. (laughs) That's how they accept it. So this is wild to me that it got through so far. But that's what I was thinking. The only thing I could think is if everyone's like, this guy has a million properties. He does this all the time. He's obviously He's good in for this it. business, right? Yeah. But ha- but the financing part, you can't get financing that fast. I don't know. This is this is wild to me. It ever got this far. And I wonder if he was surprised it ever got this far. Like he never expected it to get right. this far and thought maybe it's it would fall like, through. Yeah. It's almost like he was just kind of like in so deep with this other relationship uh-huh. and he's like doesn't know how or when to really like pull the plug and just be like oh this is far enough we can't look at houses together and put an offer on a house together and now we're continuing to march forward with this plan but it's like it sounds to me like he was just way over his head and just got into the point where he's like I don't know what to do I'm just going to continue right. pretending until this blows up in my face yeah the year of yes I mean this is right. just <laughs> too too extreme on that but yeah that's what I kind of thought too like what if that's kind of the thing where he thinks there's no way we'll get any further. So on January 26th, Bob goes to this thrift store that he knows Joseph volunteers at, and he hands one of the employees there an envelope, which he said was to be given to Joseph, and that it was the payment for a job that Joseph did for him. Keep in mind, Joseph's a handyman, so this job could be unclogging my toilet or, you know, cleaning the leaves off my roof, anything, or it could mean hit on my wife. And so it's also learned that Bob had been asking around about finding someone to rough up, take care of, run over, or T-bone a female tenant who was making his life miserable since August of 2011. So he's been asking around for basically a hitman of some sort for months. That's even before he even meets Joseph in the fall of 2011. Hmm. But unfortunately, there wasn't enough concrete evidence to arrest Bob. There was no physical proof of any of this, and Joseph's been arrested and charged in the murder already. So Bob remained a free man. And we still have so much more of this story to get into after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. I recently had a birthday, and boy, do I feel old. And while aging is a part of life, I don't really want to look as old as I sometimes feel. Thanks to agency, I can treat my fine lines and dark spots with a plan and formula that's designed just for me. To get started, I uploaded some photos of my face to the website and gave agency a little information about the condition of my skin and my concerns. I mentioned that my face had become a little drier the older I've gotten and made sure to mention those fine lines around my eyes and the dark spots that are starting to pop up around my forehead. Real hot girl summer stuff. Agency then matched me with a licensed dermatology provider who reviewed all my information and photos and created a custom formula with research-backed ingredients just for me. 
Kristen Burnett has been my licensed dermatology provider, and what I've really loved is that she's checked in with me since the beginning and made an adjustment to my plan when I thought my skin might still be a little too dry. She took that into consideration and added provitamin B5 to my formula, and it took care of the dryness, and I'm thrilled with the results I'm seeing. Do what I did and try out Agency, the personalized anti-aging skincare that evolves with you. Results may vary. Go to withagency.com slash moms for a free 30-day trial. Just pay $4.95 for shipping and handling. That's withagency.com slash moms to unlock your free 30-day trial. See withagency.com for all the details. Subject to consultation. In 2021, most of us understand the importance of using natural products in our home. But the real question is, where do you find them? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone who would curate all of the highest quality, natural, and sustainably sourced items you need? Grove Collaborative agreed and have created a one-stop shop just for you. If you aren't familiar with Grove, they're the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. Gone are the days of traveling to separate stores to get items for your home, family, and personal care products. Grove allows you to shop for all of that on their site. Plus, they take the guesswork out of going green. Every product on their site is guaranteed to be good for you, your home, and the planet. One thing I've been looking to phase out in my home are plastic sandwich bags. We use so, so many, and I would love to eliminate them in our house. And of course, Grove has the perfect solution with their Grove Coat reusable sandwich bags that are not only practical and reusable, but they're also super cute. There are tons of other brands you know and trust on their site, like Mrs. Myers, Baby Gannix, and Method, all in one place at the click of a button. And you can browse by category. So if you're new to the site and just kind of want to see the options that are available to you, In my opinion, that's a great way to start, kind of like a Grove Co. 101. Do what we did and join over 2 million households who choose to shop sustainably at Grove. Plus, shipping with Grove is fast and free on your first order. Choosing products that are better for you and the planet has never been easier. For a limited time, when our listeners go to grove.com slash mm, you will get to choose a free starter set with your first order. Go to grove.com slash mm to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.com slash mm. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. 
Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were just talking about the investigation into the mysterious death of Jane Bashara after she was found murdered and left in her own vehicle, abandoned in an alleyway in a random part of town. So her husband has now been brought into question because it's been found out that he was kind of looking around for a hitman for several months leading up to his wife's death. But it's gets a little muddy and confusing when we now have the handyman that is known to the family has admitted to killing Jane Bashara. So we're kind of wondering where the truth lies in between these two things. He says that Bob, the husband, has hired him to carry out this hit, um, but we really don't know yet what has actually happened. So after Jane was found murdered, Bob's girlfriend, Rachel, filed for a protection order against him. But Bob continued to contact her anyway, telling her that he still loved her and still wanted to have a life with her. He even asked the other woman that was supposed to move in with him, Janet, to hide Rachel from the police. Bob also went out of his way to make sure that his friends and family painted him in a positive light in the media. And he even asked two people specifically to call in tips or to post online saying that somebody besides Joseph was the killer to get the police going off in a different direction, I guess. That seems like a really dumb idea when they already have his DNA there. Yeah. You'd think you'd try to make it... Come up with some other reason why his DNA was there. Yeah. Right. If he was the handyman, you could easily go with that. Like, oh, that could be there because I worked on, you know, X, Y, and Z thing. It definitely doesn't make any sense to say he wasn't there when he clearly was. Right. So in the months after the murder, Bob willingly participated in numerous interviews. He could not get his face off the TV. He told the Detroit Free Press that, quote, I had absolutely nothing to do with what happened to my Jane. And he also said that his life was under siege and his tear glands were empty. He said that, yeah, He said that he was going to cooperate with the police and do whatever he needed to prove that he would, quote, never harm his sweetheart. Bob told the same paper that he and Jane had been going through a tough time in their marriage, but they had been going to counseling in the previous year, and they never talked about getting a divorce or anything along those lines. He claimed that he didn't even know Joseph that well, but that he did have a dispute with him over a high electric bill that Joseph wanted to be reimbursed for and said that Joseph had started to become more and more insistent about this money in the weeks that were leading up to Jane's murder. But while Joseph was in jail and Bob was still out free, he was actually up to his old tricks again, looking for people willing to commit another murder. He now wanted Joseph killed. Allegedly, he was looking for somebody to kill Joseph to avenge his wife's death, but according to his friend Stephen, he really wanted Joseph out of the picture because he knew that it was going to be very bad for him if Joseph actually went to trial and was made to testify. Bob told Stephen that he would pay him to kill Joseph, but Stephen was actually a real stand-up guy, and for maybe the first time in Moms and Murder history, Stephen went straight to the police instead of getting involved in this mess, which... Yay, go Steven. I'm so happy that Steven existed and went to the police. (laughs) Yeah, truly the most shocking thing in this story is this part, right? Yeah, right. Especially after last week's story where it was like hitmen hiring hitmen hiring hitmen (laughs) to um, get the job done. To get a nun. To get a nun in court. To get a nun at the end. Yeah, exactly. So in this case, the buck stopped here with Steven. He was not having any of it. He went straight to the police and he agreed to wear a wire and to meet with Bob. 
So he recorded a conversation in which Bob actually asked him again to kill Joseph. And of course, now it's on recording and that's all the police need to charge him with solicitation of murder. This is in the case of Joseph, however, still has nothing to do with the case of his wife. So now he's got double the trouble, mo problems. I don't think more money, but definitely more problems. <laughs> double the trouble, mo problems. That yes. should not be on a shirt. <laughs> so he pleaded guilty and he was sentenced to six years and eight months to 20 years in prison, which is a very strange span of possible time in jail right. for that solicitation of murder involving Joseph. So we are still yet to discuss what happens in the case with his wife. Wow. So on December 21st, 2012, Joseph pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. His plea deal included terms that he had to serve between 17 to 28 years, but that he also had to testify, quote, truthfully in any proceedings, end quote. So on February 19th, 2013, Judge Vonda Evans sentenced Joseph to 17 to 28 years. It took a year and three months to fully investigate Jane's murder, and police followed countless tips and leads, analyzed data from several cell phones and computers, and conducted the investigation over seven different states across the country from Florida to Oregon. If you think about all the manpower that, like whenever I hear those kind of things that goes into a murder investigation, it's just wild. And, And lots of people are working on several cases at a time. It's so much. So on April 17, 2013, Bob Bashara was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, solicitation, perjury during a capital trial, witness intimidation, obstruction of justice, and a felony firearms weapons charge, just for good measure. So the weapons charge and the perjury charge were actually both dismissed later. The state had around 300 witnesses and 5,000 pages of documentation to go through before the trial could get underway. But finally, in October of 2014, the case was presented in court with Judge Vonda Evans presiding. Prosecutors presented this theory that Bob wanted to kill his wife so he'd have more money and freedom to, quote, start a life with his slaves, end quote, as he called them. Once Jane was dead, Bob would get access to her $800,000 401k, which he could use to buy a new house for himself and as many women as he wanted or wanted him. That's such like a short-sighted goal, like $800,000 to buy a house is like the reason that he wanted to murder his wife, which is crazy because $800,000 does not really go far, especially if you start buying things like houses and a car or two. I mean, you've pretty much spent your $800,000. So like, it's crazy to me that like that is all it takes to motivate people to commit a murder. Yeah, it's awful. Well, and if you're cashing out your 401k, you're not getting that $800,000, baby. You're going to get about... $400,000. That's taxed to death. So Bob's defense told the jury that police focused on Bob without really looking into other suspects and that the police never got a hold of those clothes that Jane was wearing after her autopsy, so they couldn't conduct proper forensic testing. I always think about stuff like that where it's got to be like the defense hears that and they're like, oh, thank goodness. We've got something to say, you know, (laughs) about this. And then then the prosecutors and investigators have to be like, oh, my gosh, that was such a stupid oversight, you know, to have. Oh, my gosh. No, I can't. Because it can, so many things can fall apart on a technicality. Right. We know that. Exactly. We see that. Yeah. Yeah. So more than 70 witnesses testified on the stand in Bob's trial, but Bob was advised by his attorneys not to take the stand himself, although he says he wanted to, which I actually believe he did based on the thousand interviews he did before right. this. 
So Joseph, though, also didn't testify in Bob's trial like he was supposed to do as per his plea agreement and the uh, sentencing that he received. He said he refused to testify unless he got his own sentence reduced. So many people who testified, including Bob's girlfriend, Rachel, said they never even heard of this Joseph and that Bob never mentioned having any problems or friction with him. Two witnesses testified that Bob's action and behavior were different on the day that Jane was killed. He was acting differently than he normally did. A bartender at the lounge said that Bob made a point to let her know that he was coming back whenever he left around 545 that night. But that before that night, he never told her, you know, when he was coming and going. She'd just see him when she saw him, but that night he made sure to tell her he was coming back. There was another witness who was a tenant of Bob's who said that she saw Bob out cleaning up in the alley that evening, which she had never seen him do before. And what was even weirder than that was that Bob asked this woman and her friend to meet up with him later that evening. They did, but Bob made sure during this meeting that both of the women personally saw him kind of lining up his alibi. The more witnesses he has saying he's not at his house killing his wife, the better. So on December 18th, 2014, Bob was found guilty on all charges. He was sentenced to life in prison for the conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and the murder convictions and one to five years for the obstruction of justice convention, 18 to 40 years for the solicitation of murder in the case of Jane, and two to 10 years for bribing, intimidating, or interfering with a witness conviction. He said, what charges do you have? I want them all. Right. He just went for everything. (laughs) So Bob motioned for a new trial, but the judge denied the motion. He appealed the ruling to the state of Michigan Court of Appeals, but that was also denied. He then appealed to the Michigan Supreme Court, and on May 30th, 2018, they also denied his motion for a new trial. In May 2019, he filed a writ of habeas corpus with the U.S. District Court in Detroit. About a year after Bob was sentenced, Joseph motioned to withdraw his plea, but his motion was denied. He later gave another story that conflicted with his previous versions, which there were many previous versions, so anything he would say would be conflicting with one of them or most most of them. Um, But he said that this version that I'm about to tell you is the true version and that he simply could not go on living knowing that Bob Bashara was completely innocent. So if you're like, wait a minute, what? Um, That was me too. Um, So Joseph met with the police on December 2nd, 2015. This is after now Bob has already been convicted. He's tried to appeal. He's not getting anywhere. He's in jail. He's in prison now. So Joseph meets with the police on December 2nd, as I said, and tells them the following story. At this point, it's been several years since the murder and since Joseph, as I said, has been behind bars. He said during this interview that he was mad at Bob at the time of the murder because he refused to pay him for two jobs that he had done. One was fixing a pipe in the backyard and the other was a painting job. Due to this non-payment, Joseph said that he broke into Bob's house on January 24th knowing that Bob wasn't there and said that his intention was to, quote, steal something of equal or more value than the money Mr. Bashara owed him. He said that when he walked into the garage and saw Jane in there, he just lost control and attacked her. He began strangling her. He said that she fought back and a struggle ensued, so he hit her over the head until she went unconscious, and then he strangled her to death. He said he put Jane into her own car and drove it to the alley where he parked it and left it with her body inside. He claimed that the investigators insisted that they go with their version of events, which was that Bob hired Joseph to kill Jane, but that that was not the truth. 
He said that his story this time was the truth, and Bob actually had nothing to do with his wife's murder at all. That is wild. Yes. I just cannot – you can't wrap your brain around any of this. This is just crazy. And this has been like years have passed. So it's like what reason would he have now? And Bob's already behind bars. They're both in jail. So like what motivation or reason would he really have at this point to be like – wanting to share this information. It just doesn't really, there's not really anything in it for him at this time. So Joseph said that the officers who interviewed him on the day that he turned himself in, the day that he was originally kicked out of, you know, thrown out of the police station, they laughed him out and said, you didn't really do anything. We don't want to listen to your confession. That same day um, that they ended up taking him in and keeping him for 72 hours, he said that during those three days, the officers were coaching him about what he should say and how he should testify against Bob. He said that these officers told him they would get him a lesser sentence if they helped him to really get Bob. And they specifically said it would be a five-year sentence, which, of course, is much shorter than the 18 to 28 years or whatever it was that he was actually sentenced to. So one of the officers allegedly told Joseph that they had, quote, been after Bob for a long time and that they really were looking to arrest him. We don't know if this is true. Bob later said that there was an officer in that department who had it out for him because years earlier, I'm talking decades earlier, there was some rumor that Bob had been um, inappropriate with a child. So there was like a child molestation thing. There were no charges brought on Bob at that time for a crime of that nature, but Bob thinks or thought that um, that would be the reason why the Mm. officers would have it out for him. Otherwise, there's no, you know, he doesn't have a criminal past. So it's not like the police have been looking for him on warrants or anything like that. So that's why this doesn't really make a lot of sense, you know, to say that the officers alleged that they were just trying to get Bob. So, but anyway, when Joseph found out about the chance at getting a five-year light sentence, he said that he decided to just do what the police said and go with the story they were saying that he needed to go with, which... We know these things also do happen. We like to think that they don't, and it's probably not that common, but these kind of things definitely happen. We've heard about cases where there has been police coercion, and for whatever reason, they have a story that they want to stick to, and they pursue the investigation in that direction, regardless of what anybody else says. So it definitely happens. Unfortunately, as we said, Bob's appeals were denied, and he seemed to be waiting for word from the next court on what was going to happen with his case. But unfortunately, we will never know how it could have played out now because Bob Bashara actually passed away recently in the summer of 2020. He was 62 at the time of his passing, and the details about exactly how he died are unknown, but a spokesperson did say that there were no positive COVID-19 cases in the facility, so we can assume that he died of other causes that were not related to the pandemic. So Joseph is now incarcerated at Muskegon Correctional Facility, with his earliest possible parole date being March 2nd, 2029. So he obviously has not been successful at getting any kind of reduced sentence, although I don't really think that's surprising now that he has pretty much said that he completed the entire murder. I am so I just wish that I would be able to know the truth and whether Bob did or did not have anything to do with this. Yeah. Well, that is just such a wild thing to happen after they've been in there for a few years. What benefit could he get from saying, no, actually, I'm responsible for the whole thing. That is just wild. I just don't understand what the motivation would be at all. It's not like I mean, I just, I'm really flabbergasted with that. That is wild. 
I am too. And there are things about the story where you're like, I don't know, Bob does seem a little guilty, you know, when you find out that he was poking around asking about, you know, roughing up somebody in the months right. leading up. So that doesn't really look good. And then you also take into account, you know, his secret life, his outside relationships. That also does not speak well to Bob in terms of, you know, did or did he not have something to do with the death of his wife. But I get hung up on the little details in a story like the timeline and like the specific time frame. And like we said earlier, right. in this case, it was a very, very tight timeline. You're talking about, you know, 445, she gets home and they know for sure that, you know, Bob was at the hard luck lounge between that time and 520. But, you know, we have all these things overlapping with each other and those actually don't overlap. The times that Bob says that he was at the lounge do not or that he was proven to be at the lounge that's kind of conflicting with the time that they think that she was killed so did was he really there or if he did go back to the house that night did he just miss the murder taking place and that you know right. he had already gone with the wife's body it, you just never know but it, the timeline is so close together that it's it's really hard to say you know, I feel like it could be yes or no that he was involved. I'm not totally convinced that he was, and I'm not totally convinced that he wasn't. Yeah, I think as a juror, that would be a hard one. It does seem like there there could be a little bit of doubt there. But man, just, I, I just, it blows my mind. The whole ending of that blows my mind. It's just, I did not expect that to happen years later. And then now that Bob is dead, you know, we'll never what know. are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. All right, so that was a very crazy story. We are going to move on to Last Thing Before We Go, and I'm so, so, so excited for Last Thing Before We Go this week because Melissa had a great, great, great idea. And when I say great idea, I mean it's always fun when we can, like, make each other look really, really silly. And hopefully we're going to do that today because Melissa's going to ask me about movies that I have or have not seen since last week. I broke the news to everyone that listens to this show that I have never seen the movie Home Alone. Listen, it's been a rough week for all of us. Yeah. We're all still <laughs> going through the motions, but we're all, you know, as one now knowing that you've never seen Home Alone. So this yes. has really been, it's been trying. I've been through a lot this week. We've had um, a lot of comments on social so many. media <laughs> about, um, oh my gosh, I can't believe Mandy's never seen Home Alone. So yeah, so Melissa wrote me today and she was like, hey, let's go over a list of other movies that are widely popular that maybe you have or haven't seen. And I can say whether I have or haven't seen them. So this should yeah. be really fun. I don't know the movies that Melissa is going to no. throw out at me. So that makes it even more fun. Um, so we'll just go, we'll just see what happens here yeah and um the funny thing is i wasn't that surprised you hadn't seen home alone because i'm very used to these kind of revelations but some people really took it hard mandy they were personally affected by it so i know see. i saw a few comments that th they just cannot support the show anymore so hopefully, i did see one i was like I wait a minute <laughs> i need a winky face at the end of that yeah this right i know <laughs> this is all in good fun so mandy i'm going to start you off with a softball because I, I want i want to get you in good with the people um, okay. Mandy, have you ever seen Wizard of Oz? Of course. That's my favorite movie of all time. Thank you. Okay, guys, she's seen Wiz Wizard of Oz. Next one, Whew. Forrest Gump. 
Yes. I even used <gasps> to work at Bubba Gump Shrimp Company uh-huh. and I had to do Forrest Gump trivia with all of my tables and it was like one of the worst jobs of my life. That <laughs> is it was just wild so that terrible. you had to do Forrest Gump trivia. Yes. And it was all based on the movie. And then eventually I would just get tired of my trivia questions. And so I would watch Forrest Gump again and try to come up with <gasps> the craziest trivia questions. Like one of my really good ones I would get tables with if they were um, doing really well with like the basic trivia questions. My favorite one to stump them on was what song was playing in the background when Jenny was thinking about jumping over the balcony in that crazy scene where she was like on drugs and looking over the balcony and there was a song playing. Do you know what it was? I have no idea. Mm -mm. It was Free Bird. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I used to always get people with that. But yes, I've seen Forrest Gump many, many times. Okay, Mandy, you're gonna you're about to be 100% because I I gave you a couple softballs (laughs) in here to help you, but you did really great with that one. Mean Girls, Mandy. Have you seen Mean Girls? Duh. Yeah. Is that all I get? Every, Just duh. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody's seen, everybody's anybody. You can't <laughs> say that, Mandy, because you're, now I should have gone more aggressive with you. I know. Next one, <laughs> Titanic. I have, but it's been years. Okay. You can have it. Dirty Dancing. No. So you would put baby in a corner is what you're saying. I Next guess one. So. I wouldn't even <laughs> understand the reference, but oh, yes. <laughs> Greece, yes oh i'm very excited about that one did you like it i did i love it okay yeah i'm my daughter wants to watch it with me okay next one i don't think you've seen this one beaches i've never even heard of that one. Oh my gosh that was like <laughs> my coming of age movie that was like me watching bet medler through the years you're the wind beneath my wings that song oh. is from that yes it's very dramatic. I think it holds up. I'm going to watch it again. Okay, Mandy, next one. <laughs> Hocus Pocus. I feel like this is a yes. You're going to be very disappointed, and so is a lot of people, but I have never seen Hocus Pocus. Okay, that is wild to me because I, I – love Halloween. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. That is wild. I think you really should do that one. I think the people could be appeased even if you yeah. got all the wrong, other ones wrong if you said yes to that one, if you watched that one. Mandy – I should have given you harder ones. You're doing pretty good. Step Brothers. You've seen Step Brothers. Yes. Okay. Office Space. Office Space? Wait. You, you know what Office Space is. I don't know that I've seen it. You need more flair? With Jennifer Aniston, uh, Rod, I'm blanking on his name. They break all the printers and faxes. and. No, I don't think I've seen it. That's a good one. I think you would I think you would like that. I gave a terrible description of it, but you should see it. Princess Bride. Yeah, kinda. It's the worst. I will go to my grave saying that's the worst movie. My girl. No. <gasps> no, my girl. I've heard it's terribly sad and very depressing, but I have not seen it. It's so good, but then very sad. I saw that way too young. I did not know people could die from bee stings. No, I know, like, I know, of course, like, what happens in the movie. Like, I know the sad part, but, like, I have never watched it. Okay. Shawshank Redemption? I have, yes. Okay. E.T. Yes. Okay, you're doing much better than I thought, Mandy. Pretty Woman. Oh, my gosh, yes. I love that movie. Oh, good. Okay. Jaws? Nope. All right. Uh, you could still watch it. Okay. Sweet Home Alabama. No. Wait, is that Reese Witherspoon? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. You're doing much better than I thought. People need to give you a break. Yeah. And me too. Shrek? <laughs> yes. 
I don't know. I just like was trying to give as many that I was like, I want to, I don't want her to get them all wrong. Um, Elf. Yeah. No, yeah. You, can't, you can't say elf like that whenever you haven't seen Home Alone. I'm sorry. You I don't know, get to I know, be so cocky. I like elf. Elf is so cute. Elf is one of my favorites. My husband's, somebody at work, at his work made like an elf uh, wreath, which is really cool, but it absolutely doesn't go with any other Christmas decor when you have Will Ferrell's face greeting you first thing in the morning, you know, walking by a door. It's a very loud wreath, but it's really cool. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So bonus one, because you did way, way better. We're going to have to get more specific on these. Um, Halloween, Friday the 13th. You've seen all those, right? You know, actually, I haven't seen them all. Well, because, you know, there's so many installments of all those movies, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So, like, I've seen – I think I've seen the majority of the Halloween movies, maybe not all of them. I could, I'm not, like – it's – you know, the crazy thing is as much as I like scary movies and as much as I like Halloween, I'm actually not, like, a huge – Halloween movie like buff like I like horror movies but I'm really picky I don't like really cheesy slasher movies I think I've told you this before yeah. I like the stuff that like really scares me to my core like I like the very like thriller psychological thrillers like not so much slasher films or like, like strangers strangers was so good yeah I love that one that ruined yeah. my life it, yeah, it truly so ruined it probably took three years off of my life easily I just watched Strangers actually this past weekend. It's one. No. I I always look for good horror movies. And so if anybody listening knows really good ones, like what I'm looking for, psychological thrillers, but just really creepy ones um, and just give you that sense of like dread and panic. That's what I'm looking for. I want to be scared when the movie ends and I have to turn the lights off in my house. So if you know movies like that. Wait, you turn the lights off in your house after that? (laughs) Well, yeah, I have to go to bed eventually. No, I I, okay. I just want to I, I like the movies that freak me out so bad that like I have to turn the light off and then immediately just like run and dive under my bed and like, oh, just that's hide a out. lights on sleep. I'm not doing that. I'm not. <laughs> nothing about that sounds appealing to me. Yeah. Well, send me send us your well, not, no, I say send us. it to her. Just put uh, attention, Mandy. I don't want to even open these. your super awesome, really well done movies like that. Yeah. And I just that's my thing. Like, I feel really um snobbish about the like scary movies I watch because I just don't want my time wasted. I hate when I like look for a movie forever and think I found a good one and then I turn it on and I'm like, this is not scary. It's not creepy. I hate that. I don't want to waste my time. I just want to watch really scary good stuff. So you need like a curated list. I do. I do. I cannot help you with this. I refuse to even open emails regarding this. So good luck, all of you getting in touch touch with her because I'll probably (laughs) just send them all to the trash can. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, well, Mandy, before Halloween, you're going to have to watch Hocus Pocus. I think we need to get you on the hook for that. I will. uh, I'm going – I promise I am going to solemnly swear right now this year I will make it my mission to watch Hocus Pocus and I will watch Home Alone. I've already told my family we have to watch it together this year. And they're probably (laughs) like, what? You haven't been watching it with us every year? (laughs) Yeah. Been. Right. All right. Well, great job, Mandy. You did much better than I think the people thought. Good. I hope everyone's not people. too concerned about me and my lack of movie knowledge now. I hope no, I've redeemed the, myself. The Forrest Gump thing helped you loads, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. All right, guys. We're going to get out of here. We will see you next next week. Same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. 
please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.